0: On a special Sunday episode, we're celebrating one year of the podcast by concluding our series on Kingdom Hearts. So join us for Geek Explained Anniversary Edition as we cover Kingdom Hearts 3. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we explain it. I'm your host Eric Ozana, and today's episode is celebrating an entire year of Geek Explained. Uh, first off, I just want to say thank you for uh, sticking with us. It was one year ago that we posted up the very first episode of this podcast, and I remember thinking just. I didn't know exactly where this was going to go, I didn't know if we were going to be successful or not, and I know that uh, a lot of podcasts, it kind of takes the first year for you to really figure out what you're doing, and uh, this year has been an incredible learning experience, and I've just, I've had so much fun just putting this stuff together, uh, doing research, having conversations with you guys, and really being able to just express my love for geek culture so um yeah i just want to start off by saying thank you for listening uh whether you started off with us with that first uh episode or whether you jumped on at some other point during this past year i want to say thank you thank you for uh listening to us thank you for um dealing with any kind of schedule changes uh feeling out the process with kind of coming up with exactly what this show is. And of course, we're still in that process. We're still uh, learning with every episode, every week that goes by. So I appreciate you sticking with us. I appreciate you um, giving me the time of day, taking time out of your day to listen to me and my opinions and my uh, just... (laughs) Listening to my voice. So, um, yeah, I'm gonna stop being really sappy and emotional and get into the topic of today which is Kingdom Hearts 3 Oh, man, so so much so many things so many feelings so much happens in this game Um, We're gonna be covering like all of our other Kingdom Hearts episodes a background on the game we're gonna be covering uh, the story from top to bottom we're going to be giving you a very spoiler heavy explanation of what happens in this game and then because we don't have a, uh, a final mix or any kind of uh, dlc stuff to talk about at the time of this recording uh, instead of the usual format where we go into You know, talking about the final mix, any kind of uh, remasters or anything like that, we're going to be going into a a review of the game, my thoughts on the game, what I thought of, uh, different aspects of it, and where it fits in the overall ranking of the Kingdom Hearts games for me. course totally objective opinion if you would like to catch up on my other objective opinions on the games of the franchise check out episode 41 which was Kingdom Hearts ranked I ranked every game so far up to this point all nine of the previous games with this being game number 10 so um, stick around for the review following the story uh, and you'll be able to hear exactly where that where this game fits into that overall ranking. But uh, we're gonna go ahead and kick it off with the uh, background and introduction to Kingdom Hearts 3. So Kingdom Hearts 3 is an action role-playing game released on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. And this game had the longest uh, development time of any Kingdom Hearts game in the entire franchise. And for those of you who have been fans of the game since the original Kingdom Hearts or Kingdom Hearts 2, you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) This game, uh, we waited essentially from uh, Kingdom Hearts 2 being released in 2006, we waited 13 years for this game. I think an appropriate appropriate, uh, amount of time. Not saying that I wouldn't have liked this sooner. I absolutely would have liked this sooner, but the 13 has always been a big number correlating to Kingdom Hearts, so I think it's kind of fitting and apropos that this game comes out 13 years after the previous numbered game. But that wasn't initially how it was supposed to happen. Right after completing uh, Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix Plus, uh, Nomura was approached by Disney executives to begin work on Kingdom Hearts 3. They wanted to get it out as quickly as possible and wanted to strike while the iron was hot. But Nomura, at this point that he completed uh, Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix Plus, uh, was focused on what at that time was called Final Fantasy Versus 13. He was completely committed to making that game possible and making that game the best it could be and didn't see it as feasible or really even possible for him to focus as much attention on Kingdom Hearts 3 as he wanted to while he was trying to make uh, Versus 13 as good as it could be. He also did a couple of interviews basically talking about the secret ending, which was huge when it first came out, both with the secret ending from the original Kingdom Hearts 2 as well as the secret ending for Final Mix Plus, which ended up didn't entailing the uh, final battle uh, in the Kingdom Hearts or the Keyblade Graveyard of Birth by Sleep. He made sure that everyone knew that these secret endings were not Kingdom Hearts 3, that they were a brand new story in the Kingdom Hearts universe, which did end up becoming Birth by Sleep. Uh, He also announced when all of the other games were being announced throughout this past uh, 13 years that kingdom hearts dream drop distance which was initially called kingdom hearts 3d for for dream drop distance as well as being released on the nintendo 3ds would be heavily attached to the story of kingdom hearts 3 Uh, kingdom hearts 3 was initially announced at e3 of 2013 that was six years ago um and nomura Following the announcement of Kingdom Hearts 3 because it did show a brief teaser of a game that was still in development. He uh, kind of lamented that they announced Kingdom Hearts 3 too early in its development process and wanted to make in no uncertain terms that Kingdom Hearts 3 wouldn't be releasing for a good long while after that. However, he kind of rushed the announcement of Kingdom Hearts 3 basically announcing it at the same time as Final Fantasy XV, which Versus thirteen had kind of morphed into, because he knew that fans were impatient, that they had been slowly uh, growing tired of the seemingly endless spinoffs, Birth by Sleep, 358, Coded, all that stuff, and wanted to make sure that everyone knew from both fans to executives that this was in the works and that they were working on it. Uh, He also touted that this Kingdom Hearts 3 would be the end of what he coined the Dark Seeker Saga, also known as the Xehanort Saga, and that this wouldn't be the end of Sora's story or the end of the franchise. While in development of this game, the very first world that he picked that Nomura wanted to be in this game was Tangled, which I think is a really interesting choice. Uh, Tangled was Basically the first world that he really wanted to include because of Rapunzel because he liked her energy He loved her character and he thought that Using her hair would open up a world of possibilities when it came to her hair, which we saw implemented in the uh, Kingdom of Corona world in Kingdom Hearts 3 Our neighbor's dog is a big fan of Tangled and Rapunzel so um, we did see that he was really interested in using her hair, whether it came to traversing the world, whether it came to combat. So I think that was a good choice, personally. Uh, in September of 2014, Nomura officially left the development of Final Fantasy 15 to focus on Kingdom Hearts 3, and we kind of saw the ramifications of this with uh, Kingdom Hearts uh, fifth or uh, <laughs> Kingdom Hearts 15, Final Fantasy 15. Their production kind of slowing, and ending and it ended up. Closing out the second season of DLC and shortening it way up to just the uh, single episode of Arden. But uh, this game even with Namura refocusing his efforts on it in 2014, experienced extensive delays, and that was due to both internal pressure because of executives, as well as switching over the engine of the game to the Unreal 4 engine. The game was originally uh, supposed to be on the in-house Luminous engine, but about a year, two years into the development process, they realized that what they wanted to do was just not feasible on that engine, and they switched over to the Unreal 4, which was basically them starting over from scratch, just with their basic ideas. So... With the internal stuff, they were getting a lot of pressure with uh, Disney executives, Square Enix executives, for um, wanting it to be exactly perfect. They wanted it to be as uh, big as it possibly could be with all of the uh, buildup that kind of went into it, and they had to go through a lot of approval, which we'll get into in just a second. Uh, they want, One of the big revamps they wanted to make sure they did right this time was with the gummy ship. They took the, Nomura specifically took the, uh, criticism as well as the, uh, constructive feedback about the gummy Ship in previous games and really wanted to completely revamp it and make it, make it something that fans could enjoy. Cause I think I speak for me as well as a lot of other fans in the, in the idea that the gummy Ship was probably the least fun aspect of the game, uh, Of at least Kingdom Hearts 1 and Kingdom Hearts 2, because it always felt like it was just kind of a placeholder and unnecessary padding that didn't really need to be there, and we were more focused on the actual narrative that was being told. So, Nomura wanted to make traversing the worlds with the Gummy Ship as fun as possible, and really wanted to, uh, I guess kind of reshape our perspective and our uh position on the gummy ship so he brought in the team behind the i think the old rail shooter einhander uh to kind of revamp the gummy ship and it shows the gummy ship sequences in this game are probably the best in the franchise and uh it really helped, and this also equaled out to them bringing in a, a secret boss for the Gummy Ship, uh, being one of the big bosses from that original Ein game. game. Uh, along with wanting to revamp the Gummy Ship, they also wanted to include uh, plenty of Disney as well as Pixar worlds, but unfortunately, another reason that went into the uh, delays was there was an extensive and difficult approval process to get those worlds approved for this game. Uh, It was harder than ever before to get the licenses to use these games or uh, to use these worlds such as Frozen, such as Tangled, such as Monsters, Inc. because for some reason the teams behind them were very uh, touch-and-go and very uh, protective of their properties, which is totally understandable, but it did contribute to the extensive delays. Uh, they also wanted to focus on visuals in world interactions. Uh, Nomura, specifically talking about Tangled, really wanted to extend the amount of uh, kind of in game cutscenes as well as. Uh, clues and easter eggs for players to find by interacting with the world we see this in lots of ways including the specifically with the tangled world using any kind of arrow magic on dandelions would trigger a short in-game cutscene with rapunzel uh really interacting with that which i love and they really wanted to make sure that this was the biggest and most beautiful game in the franchise. So they really wanted to make sure the worlds were sprawling that they were full. A lot of uh players were kind of critical of the fact that in Kingdom Hearts 2 the worlds were huge but they were empty and they were, weren't really populated by really anything. So they took that to heart and they really wanted to make these worlds as full and rich as possible. After extensive delays and extensive development time and as well as releasing teasers uh short gameplay demos kingdom Hearts 3 was officially released on the playstation 4 and xbox one on january 25th of 2019 in japan followed by a release on the 29th of january in 2019 for the rest of the world now this game was released in its entirety but was but uh nomura did make mention to everyone i want to say you know weeks in advance that the game would not include either the epilogue or the secret ending for the game those would be released separately as dlc as free dlc just because the uh with the rise in hackers and leakers they didn't want that because he in his own words nomura said that the epilogue and the secret ending are the most spoiler Uh, Spoilerific aspects of the game And so it ended up being A really smart plan because Around late December Certain copies Were stolen from a foreign retailer and were distributed and leaked online so for the entirety of january all you could find if you looked at if you searched anything kingdom hearts were spoilers from the game and that made it really difficult for players like myself to stay spoiler free luckily i was able to and i was able to play the game with fresh eyes now the epilogue was originally released on the 26th in Japan and the 30th of January for the rest of the world, and The Secret Ending was released worldwide on the 31st of January. So that is it for the background of this game. Um, Again, extensive development process, but I think the game in itself was definitely worth it. So we will jump into the story of the game, the long-awaited story of Kingdom Hearts 3 right now. Once upon a time, there were two friends playing a simple chess game. They spoke about the ancient Keyblade War, the battle between light and darkness, and the legend of the Lost Masters that started that keyblade war. As they made move for move on the chessboard, we come to see that the two friends are a young Xehanort and a young Ericus. Upon another time, in the present day, Sora, Donald, and Goofy are in the mysterious tower with Yen Sid. Yen Sid is tasking them with. Regaining Sora's lost strength that he was stripped of because of the machinations of Xehanort in the previous adventure. The three friends are tasked by visiting another hero who has also once lost his power and was able to regain it. So the f- three friends head off into the gummy ship to Olympus as we begin Kingdom Hearts 2.9. Our heroes arrive with little fanfare, not at the Colosseum, but on an unknown mountain. They make their way down and come upon the city of Thebes, which happens to be under attack by the Titans, which were summoned by Hades to take Mount Olympus and to raise Thebes to the ground. They come upon Hercules, who is desperately trying to keep the city together and save as many civilians as possible. Meanwhile. Maleficent and Pete, who have been on their own journey, happen upon Hades asking about a box. Maleficent claims that this box is the key to ruling over the Realm of Light, and Hades gives them a little bit of pushback and sass, as he does, and sends them on their way. During the journey through Thebes, Sora, Donald, Goofy, and Hercules battle heartless, save civilians and realize that the attack is coming from Mount Olympus, and the only way that they'll be able to stop this attack is to head up the mountain and take care of the Titans. On their way out of Thebes, however, they are encountered by Zigbar, who tells Sora that his goal for this journey is to regain his strength and to be strong enough for the eventual clash of light and darkness our heroes head up the mountain and defeat the rock titan before making it into mount olympus itself they find that zeus is being held captive by hades and the other titans and after working their way up to the peak they battle each of the titans individually and then rescue zeus following this victory our heroes are able to repel hades and send him back to the underworld as hercules who has finally made it back to Mount Olympus after all this time, chooses to stay on Earth with Meg, Phil, and the rest of his friends. He then gives Sora the advice that his heart is what makes him strong, and the bonds that he creates with his friends is what will bring him back the power that he seeks. As our heroes leave, we flash over to Maleficent and Pete once more, who have dug up A box, but not the box. The two head off to another world to continue their search, and unbeknownst to them are being watched by Zigbar, who before we cut away begins the phrase, may your heart. We cut over to the dark margin, and with a separate journey, this one by Riku and Mickey, who are embarking on this mission to rescue Aqua from the Realm of Darkness after all this time. They make it to the Dark Beach from where Riku and Sora were able to escape the Realm of Darkness in a previous adventure, but Aqua's nowhere to be found. They are instead met by Heartless and the Demon Tower, who attacks both Riku and Mickey, damaging their Keyblades. Riku is swept up in the demon tower and seems to be lost to darkness until a voice deep in the depths of the darkness reaches out to him. It says that he didn't expect Riku to be there, that it's been a long time, and wonders if he might need some help. Riku wakes up on the dark beach, Mickey by his side telling him that somehow, he was able to escape the demon tower. Mickey's keyblade is damaged and Riku's is broken clean in half. They were unprepared for how dangerous this realm of darkness has become in the time preceding and they decide to regroup at the mysterious tower. Back at the tower, Sora, Donald, and Goofy, as well as Riku and Mickey, arrive and give a bit of a mission update for everything that's going on. Yen Sid tells them to refocus on their goals. He sends Riku and Mickey to where Kyrie and Lee are training to get some help from the good fairies as well as Merlin to fix their Keyblades and upgrade them to a sufficient strength so that they can head back into the Realm of Darkness and continue their mission. Sora, Donald, and Goofy are to continue on their mission to regain Sora's strength, so that they will be strong enough to head into the final battle. Sora is also given a Heartbinder charm to strengthen the bonds of those linked to his heart in the hopes that that will help unlock his hidden power. All three groups then head off to their respective missions as we begin Kingdom Hearts 3. Sora, Donald, and Goofy happen upon a familiar setting, Twilight Town, where they run into Hainer, Pence, and Olette. It's almost like they never left. Well, almost. You see, Hainer, Pence, and Olette are being pursued by another demon tide, And Sora, Donald, and Goofy arrive just in time. They're able to defeat the Heartless and regroup with their friends. Hainer, Pence, and Olette are already chomping at the bit to investigate about these new dark creatures, but Sora has a different idea in mind. Along with trying to regain his abilities, Sora is looking for a way to get Roxas back. He wants not only to have Roxas in their ranks in the inevitable fight against the darkness, but he truly believes that Roxas deserves to have his own life separate from Sora. Hayner, Pence, and Olette are given the photograph that was taken in the day to Twilight Town and use it as a clue to head to the old mansion. Sora also uses the new gear given to him by Yen Sid to snap a photo with the new gummy phone. The friends head to the mansion and are confronted by Ansem, Seeker of Darkness, and Zemnis. The two versions of Xehanort once again task Sora with regaining his strength and put the idea in his head that maybe bringing Roxas back wouldn't be so bad. There's something there. Xemnas seems a little bit too eager to bring Roxas back into the fold, but they leave before we can get any kind of concrete answer. Heading into the mansion, they get the idea that since the digital Twilight Town does have digital versions of Hayner, Pensolette, and the other members of the town, maybe Because it is a system similar to the Datascape, it might have a digital backup of Roxas. Pence gets to work trying to crack the system, but finds that he's a little underqualified to hack into Ansem the Wise's old systems. However, it's here that they're contacted by Ienzo, former Zexian of the original organization, as well as former apprentice to Ansem the Wise. He... Aeolus, as well as Dylan, are searching around Ansem's study to try and find answers as to not only what happened to the other apprentices and where they might have gone, but to try and get some answers on how they can help in the fight against Xehanort. Ienzo offers to help Pence get into the system and see if there are any digital backups or any other ways that Ansem the Wise might have known to possibly bring Roxas back. But for now, Sora, Donald, and Goofy have to move on. On their way out of Twilight Town, however, they run into a little rat who's hunting for ingredients. And after Sora, Donald, and Goofy help him finding the ingredients, they are encountered by Scrooge McDuck, Donald's uncle, who reveals that this little rat is actually a little chef, and that he is the head chef for the newest bistro in town, of course funded by Scrooge. The three promise to help Scrooge as well as Little Chef in any way they can to make the bistro as successful as possible before heading back off into their adventure. Meanwhile, back at the Hidden Forest, Kyrie and Lee are taking a break from their Keyblade Master training. Kyrie is writing a letter to Sora and Lee asks her about it, saying that there's no way that those letters will ever get to Sora. Kairi reveals that she does know that, but writing to Sora kind of helps. It's kind of like being able to talk to him right then and there. The two then refocus their efforts, wanting to rejoin with their friends and fight the darkness together. At Radiant Garden, Riku and Mickey, after having upgraded their keyblades and gotten themselves back on their feet, are on the trail to getting back into the realm of darkness. The reason they're at Radiant Garden is because this was the last known location of Aqua before jumping into the Realm of Darkness. And the hope is that maybe getting into the Realm of Darkness through Radiant Garden will give them some clue as to where Aqua ended up. They also take a moment to ponder on what Xehanort's true goal is, as well as what might have become of Terra. Yen Sid gave them another task before they left to try and find Terra because we know that Aqua and Ven are out there and will be needed in the upcoming battle. But if Ven isn't able to be woken up, they'll need Terra. So in fact, this Radiant Garden trip is twofold to try and find a route to get to Aqua as well as to investigate the last known location of Terra. Riku wonders what could have happened to Terra, since we saw both Xemnas and Ansem Seeker of Darkness. However, Xehanort's an old man again. Terra's body, since his Heartless was destroyed and his body was cast away, should have been recompleted somewhere too. The two friends decide to continue their investigation as we resume our adventure with Sora, Donald, and Goofy. The three go on an odyssey throughout many different worlds, including the Toy Box, where they are happened upon by the inhabitants of Andy's room. Buzz, Woody, Rex, and the other toys encounter Sora, Donald, and Goofy, who have also been turned into toys to keep the order and the balance of the world. Sora has been mistaken for the hero of the Verum Rex video game, Yozora, by Rex, who believes that these three toys are part of that game. All of them head to the toy store to try and find their friends and are encountered by young Xehanort, who has returned once again. Young Xehanort reveals that he split the toy box into two halves of the same world, similar to when Sora and Riku went through the sleeping worlds in a previous adventure. Everyone is able to defeat young Xehanort, who retreats for now. Following this, Ienzo gets back in touch with Sora and the gang, and lets them know that they may have run into a roadblock. While it might be possible to retrieve Roxas's heart from within Sora, there's no body for that heart to reside in. As Sora becomes a little disheartened, Ienzo reveals that they might have an answer for it, however. Before the destruction of the original organization, one of their members, Vexen, was working on a replica program. These replicas were as good as human, and if a heart was put into it, it would essentially be human. They would have to go back and try and find Vexen's old replica research. But if they could, and they could construct a replica for Roxas, that would be a vessel with which Roxas' heart could call home. And in that respect, Roxas could come back. With renewed purpose, Sora, Donald, and Goofy head into the Kingdom of Corona, where they are encountered not just by its inhabitants, Flynn Rider and Rapunzel, but also by another member of the organization, one that they don't recognize. This member has pink hair and wields a deadly scythe, and introduces himself as Marluxia. Marluxia seems almost amused that Sora, Donald, and Goofy don't remember him, and alludes to a previous history between the two. He also drops a little hint about the new Seven Hearts, hinting that the Seven Princesses of Heart from Sora's original adventure may be safe, but Seven New Hearts are now in the crossfire. We also get a look at Maleficent and Pete, who have also followed Sora, Donald, and Goofy to this world, still searching for the box. They don't find it there, but Maleficent seems to have gotten an idea. Sora, Donald, and Goofy are able to help Rapunzel and Flynn achieve their happy ending before heading back out in the Gummy Ship. Back at Radiant Garden, Ienzo, Alias, and Dylan are Coming up blank on trying to find the missing scientist, Vexen, also known as Evan, is nowhere to be found. However, when the apprentices gave up their hearts and became members of the organization, Evan was with them, so where did he go? Meanwhile, at the Keyblade Graveyard, Syx, who has been revealed to be another member of the new organization and a potential vessel for Xehanort, is speaking to a new recruit of sorts. I say of sorts because he's in fact an old recruit. The hooded figure joining him removes his hood revealing that Vexen has jumped sides and has jumped back in with the new organization, claiming that his research stands above his need to be a human and to have a heart. Sora Donald and Goofy happen upon Monstropolis, where they encounter new, strange enemies that aren't the Heartless, aren't the Nobodies, but are something else. After encountering Mike, Sully, and Boo, the three friends are encountered by another new member of the organization, this one introducing himself as Venetus. Venetus reveals that he is the source of these new enemies, called the Unversed. And tells Sora that he's got a lot riding on him. He reveals that there is another heart within Sora's, not just Roxas. He reveals that Ventus's heart is resting within Sora's and that even though Sora may not remember it, Sora opened his heart to a damaged Ventus whose heart has been residing in him for most of his life Venitus also reveals that Ventus and he are two sides of the same coin, where Ventus is pure light, Venitus is pure darkness. He then tries to release Ventus's heart from Sora before Sora is rescued by Sully. This results in Sully throwing Venitus into a door and then throwing that door into another door, and that door into another door, and that door into another door, before taking the final door and throwing it into the wood chipper, ensuring that Vanitas will have to take the long way around to get back to them. Our three heroes thank their newfound monster friends and then head back off in the gummy Ship. It's not long after this that they're contacted again by Ienzo, who reveals that He hasn't found Evan's research into replicas, but he has found something interesting in Ansem's research. Ansem the Wise's research continued while he was Diz, and it seems that his research continued even further during the year that Sora was asleep. While trying to piece back Sora's memories, he encountered three separate hearts residing in Sora's apart from his own. He knew about Roxas, however there was another heart that had been in there almost as long and a heart that had been there much, much longer. This heart had to be Ven's, but who did that third heart belong to? Ianzo promised that his search through both Ansem the Wise's research as well as Evan's would continue, and Sora, Donald and Goofy head off into a new world, this one, being Arendelle. And while making their way through the frozen mountain, they encounter another member of the organization. This one they don't recognize either. This one introduces herself as Larkseen and seems to take a kind of sadistic joy in the idea that Sora doesn't remember her. She must be palled up with Marluxia. Larkseen then reveals that the organization has all 13 of their darknesses. That they are ready and waiting for Sora's seven lights to step up. She then departs as Sora, Donald, and Goofy witness the reunion of Anna and Elsa. We then flash to the Dark Margin, the beach that Mickey and Riku were turned away from, as well as the beach that Riku and Sora escaped from, and we come upon a familiar scene. Aqua, as well as Ansem the Wise. We know that the two met up after Aqua's many, many travels through the realm of darkness and are talking, trying to pass the time until Sora and friends might come to rescue them. However, this time is cut a bit short as Ansem, Seeker of Darkness, arrives to take Ansem the Wise away and under the custody of Xehanort. Aqua tries to battle against Ansem, Seeker of Darkness, but he defeats her and separates her from the Keyblade of her master, Master Ericus, and sends Aqua even further into the depths of darkness. Back with Sora, Donald, and Goofy, they get a message from Merlin to come to the Bistro in Twilight Town. After having helped Little Chef as well as Scrooge McDuck make the Bistro as popular as possible, even Merlin couldn't help but stop by. However, Merlin didn't bring them there to talk about the Bistro. Merlin brought them there to help with something else, and he shows the book that provides the gateway into the Hundred Acre Wood. Every adventure previous that Sora would complete with the Hundred Acre Wood would end with the cover of the book reflecting Sora and Pooh's friendship. However, the book has changed. sora is gone from the cover, so he dives back into the book to find out what's wrong, and he finds out that nothing is really wrong. Everyone's there, the Kang's all there, Pooh Bear's doing fine and remembers Sora, but for some reason Sora's still disappeared from the cover of the book. The two have a heart-to-heart where Winnie the Pooh tells Sora that he got a little worried that Sora would forget about him and that Sora had been gone just a bit too long. And somehow this doubt and this worry caused Sora's heart to disappear from Pooh's. Sora realizes that his bonds are not just with this the seven lights that he is trying to construct, but with everyone that he's met along the way in every world that he's visited, he promises Pooh that he'll be back to see him, and that their friendship can never go away. Sora leaves the book, and the cover returns to showing Sora along with Pooh Bear, and Sora tells Merlin that he's worried about losing his friends, and that His bonds are now more important to him than ever. Merlin tells him that even though bonds may be lost and friendships may be forgotten, what's lost can always be found. We take a brief intermission back at the mysterious tower where everyone gives an update on how their searches are going. Sora, Donald, and Goofy reveal that they know where Ven's heart is now, and due to Ansem the Wise's research, they almost certainly know that it's within Sora's heart. They want to go rescue Ven, but Aqua was the last one who saw Ven, so the priority now is to still find Aqua. From deep within Sora's heart, a voice rings out. His words, I'll go, escaping his lips before he can even say them. Someone just spoke for Sora, and it definitely wasn't Sora. However, Yen Sid, Mickey, and Riku agree that Sora still needs to regain his strength as well as achieve the power of waking before he can head into the realm of darkness. Everyone recommits to their missions, Riku and Mickey will head back into the Realm of Darkness to try and find Aqua, while Sora, Donald, and Goofy will continue their journey to regain Sora's strength, as well as achieve the power of waking. Yen Sid also addresses the idea of the new Seven Hearts, saying that after the worlds were saved, the original Seven Princesses of Light must have passed on their lights to a new Seven Hearts. Kyrie, however, must have held on to her abilities as she never passed on that power. Yen Sid says while to continue on with their missions to keep an eye out because the new Seven Hearts of Light may be the organization's next target. Speaking of the organization, we take another interlude at the Keyblade Graveyard where we find that Marluxia and Larksine might be looking to stage another Coup, Because the last one went so well. The two are encountered by Demix, who has also returned and is also part of the new organization. Though he references that he's on the bench, he's now a reserve member because a replica created by Vexen took his spot. We don't know exactly what replica or who the replica may be of, but we do know that it's now being used as a main member of the organization. Luxord also makes his presence known, having also joined the organization, and all four members of the previous organization are bickering amongst each other before Zemnis arrives. Zemnis then tells the four that he didn't just bring them together because of some antiquated sense of loyalty. He brought them together for a purpose, and that purpose is to awaken the sleeping Keyblade legacies that rest within all four of them. We don't know exactly what this means or what effect this could have on the story going forward, but now we do know that there might be more than meets the eye to Marluxia, Larksine, Luxord, and Demix. Back with Sora, Donald, and Goofy, they happen upon a familiar setting, the Caribbean where they find that Captain Jack, who has been through a lot at this point, uh, needs their help once again. Through their travels, along with pirating here and there, they encounter Luxord, who is also searching for a black box. Luxord hints that the organization may have many goals, many goals that aren't privy to Sora and his friends, before leaving and forcing Sora to question exactly what the organization's goals are. Sora, Donald, and Goofy then help Captain Jack as well as Will Turner and friends to defeat Davy Jones once and for all. Back in the Forbidden Forest, Kairi and Lee are nearly ready to rejoin their friends, having completed almost all of their Keyblade training. They take a rest as Kairi shows that she's changed her outfit, cut her hair, and is ready to go into battle. As they have a nice, friendly moment together, something weird happens. In Lee's eyes, Kyrie changes into someone that he doesn't recognize, someone with dark hair, blue eyes, and wearing an organization cloak. As he tries to shake himself out of this haze, he sees Kyrie once again, but can't help but feel that the person that she morphed into for just a moment, he knew her, somehow. Back with Riku and Mickey, they head back into the realm of darkness, and are able to pretty handily defeat the demon tide that they had had so much trouble defeating before. However, more demon tides appear, and as they become surrounded, a familiar voice rings out. Back in Twilight Town, Ansem arrives along with his captor, the Seeker of Darkness, who seems eager to use Ansem the Wise's research as well as his knowledge to help their organization with their goals. As they begin to head into the old mansion, Hainer, Pence, and Olette, in an act of bravery, Attempt to rescue Ansem the Wise with Hayner dropping the sickest drop kick in all of Kingdom Hearts history. However, Hayner's amazing dynamite kick is batted away by the Seeker of Darkness, who looks poised to attack the three teenagers before being surrounded by other nobodies. Seeker of Darkness realizes what's happening, and before he knows it. Hainer, Pence, and Alette are able to escape with Ansem the Wise. In the sewers between the Old Mansion and Twilight Town, the three friends in Ansem the Wise aren't sure exactly what's going on or how they know each other, but they know that they need to get away from the Seeker of Darkness. Someone appears who wants to help, but this someone is Vexen. Immediately, Hainer, Pence, and Alette, recognizing the organization cloak, jump to Ansem the Wise's defense, but Vexen seems to have turned over a new leaf. He tells Ansem that he wants to help him so that he can finally get some redemption of his own. Back with Sora, Donald, and Goofy, they happen upon the city of San Fransokyo, and encounter the Big Hero 6 who are battling Heartless and saving the day like the heroes they are. Through their adventures with Big Hero 6, they encounter the newest member of the new organization, Riku. But not the Riku that we know, the Riku from Kingdom Hearts 1. This Riku was the Riku who was possessed by the Seeker of Darkness and gave himself over the darkness in a bid to rule the Realm of Light. This Riku was seemingly plucked from the past like Xehanort's other avatars and has been set on a collision course with Sora and friends. Sora, Donald, and Goofy are able to help Big Hero 6 turn Dark Riku away, as well as redeem the Dark Baymax and bring him back into the light. Following this adventure, Sora, Donald, and Goofy are contacted by Chip and Dale who reveal that they've lost contact with Riku and Mickey. They have no idea how to get to them and they know that Mickey was the only one able to access the Realm of Darkness. Sora takes a moment and utters the words, May my heart be my guiding key. He then uses his keyblade to open a portal and the gummy ship flies through. They find themselves back at Destiny Islands, a place they haven't been in a good long while. Sora isn't sure why the Keyblade took them there, but then sees something strange. Another Keyblade, laying in the sand. This Keyblade is the Master's Defender, former Keyblade of Ericus and former Keyblade now of Aqua. Sora uses the Master's Defender to open another door into the Realm of Darkness. And while Goofy and Donald want to follow him in, Sora tells them that this is something he needs to do on his own. He tells them he'll return soon with both Riku and Mickey in tow, and then heads through the door. Back in the Realm of Darkness, Mickey has been captured by the Demon Tide, and Riku has been attacked. Suddenly, out of the darkness, a silhouetted figure, walks onto the beach. This figure picks up Mickey's discarded keyblade and before Mickey's eyes reveals itself to be Aqua, but not the Aqua that we know. Because of being cast further and deeper into the depths of the darkness, Aqua has been corrupted. Aqua has fallen to the darkness and is now Dark Aqua. She heads out into the water of the Dark Margin and beckons Riku to duel her. Riku stands up, Keyblade in hand, and at that moment, we realize what the voice that contacted Riku before was. It was the spirit of the Riku replica. The Riku replica that we haven't seen since the events of Chain of Memories. This... Replica's heart had been wandering through the darkness until it found Riku. This Replica, who we'll be referring to as Repliku from here on out, commits his blade and his power to Riku to give him an extra boost in the duel against Aqua. Riku battles with Aqua upon the beach and seems to gain the upper hand until another Demon Tide attacks him. However, at that moment, Sora arrives. He helps battle back the demon tide with Riku and then promises to save Aqua. He duels with Aqua and is able to finally defeat her. However, she falls back into the waters, into the depths of darkness. Aqua laments about how this is it. This is how her story ends falling to darkness after clashing keyblades with the two heroes of light. However, she hears a voice call out to her, and echoing the amazing cinematic from 0.2, A Fragmentary Passage, Aqua opens her eyes to see Sora's hand reaching through the water and saving her. Aqua awakens on Destiny Islands, wondering when this world fell into darkness. Sora, Riku, and Mickey are happy to tell her that she's not in the Dark Realm anymore. After over 10 years of wandering through the Realm of Darkness, she's finally made it back to the light. Back in Radiant Garden, Vexen and Demix are having a bit of a tete a tete. Demix doesn't want to shake things up, but Vexen is committed. To atoning for his sins and f- and to help Ansem the Wise in any way that he can, Demix is a cowardly guy. He's not willing to rock the boat. He doesn't want to get on the bad side of the organization or of Xehanort. However, Vexen tells Demix that he only needs him for one task, one task alone. Meanwhile, back in Ansem's study. Ienzo and Ansem the Wise have a tear-filled reunion. Ienzo apologizes for everything, for betraying Ansem the Wise, for following Xehanort's lead, and for committing himself to the darkness. And Ansem, who in an amazing act of forgiveness, tells Ienzo that it wasn't his fault, that he was just a boy, and that he forgives him and absolves him of all of his past sins. Following this, a dark portal opens up, and out walks Demix, holding something in his arms. With everyone on guard, Demix tells them to relax, he's not here to fight. Demix then lays his cargo onto the floor, tells them that it's a gift from Vexen, or Evan, or whoever you want to call him, and then heads back off, telling them his role is complete. Ienzo, Ansem the Wise, Dylan, and Alias all look into the package that Demix had brought and find a fresh, completed, and working replica. The tides have turned. Meanwhile, Sora, Donald, Goofy, and Aqua are making their way through another dark corridor. They reveal that Riku and Mickey have been returned to the Mysterious Tower to rest, but that they have a mission they still need to complete. And it's here that we find that they have traveled to Castle Oblivion. Aqua then uses the Master's Defender Keyblade, which has been returned to her, and unlocks Castle Oblivion, returning it to the Land of Departure. Our heroes head into the castle and find that Ven is right where they left him, sitting on the throne inside of the castle. But as they head towards him, Venitas appears. He tells them that they led him right to Ventus and that he'll be taking Ventus to forge the Keyblade. Sora tries to battle Venitas, but Aqua waves him away. She says that Sora has seen her too weak for too long and that this time she gets to take the limelight. And she duels venitus a rematch for the ages, with the fate of Ventus in the balance. Aqua is able to turn back Venitus, but Venitus uses Aqua's desire to protect Ventus against her, sending a fire spell against Ventus, to which Aqua sacrifices herself to save him from. Lying broken and on the floor, Venitus is ready to strike Aqua down when Sora feels something happen. Deep within Sora's heart, Ventus wakes up. He tells Sora that he needs to get out there, he needs to save Aqua, and Sora doesn't know how to let him out, how to unlock his heart. He doesn't have the power of waking, but Ventus reveals that he's always had it. The power's always been within him, and he tells Sora to wake him up. Sora finally is able to use the power of waking to release Ventus's heart, which makes its way back to his body, and Ventus wakes up and attacks Vanitas, rescuing Aqua just in time. With Vanitas now faced down by three Keyblade wielders as well as Donald and Goofy, he retreats, telling them that this isn't over. Ventus and Aqua finally have a tear-filled reunion before everyone heads back to the Mysterious Tower. Back at the Mysterious Tower, the Guardians of Light are finally gathered together. Sora, Riku, Mickey, Kairi, Ven, Aqua, and Lee, again going by Axel, are all here. They are ready to defend the Realm of Light against Xehanort's 13 darknesses. Yensid tells them all to get some rest, for tomorrow the battle begins. It's here that we see all of these Guardians of Light taking a moment's rest. Ventus and Aqua sit under the stars outside of the Mysterious Tower and tell each other that they'll find Terra, and no matter where he is, he has to be sitting under the same sky as they are. Maleficent and Pete, back in Twilight Town, Are lamenting the fact that they can't find the box, but Maleficent finally realizes what the problem's been and she tells Pete that the box doesn't exist yet. The box is supposed to appear when the ultimate battle of light and darkness transpires and she knows that it's coming upon them and that When that battle does happen, they'll be there to take the box. On the other side of Twilight Town, at the clock tower that stands above the entire town, Axel sits, holding not just one, but three ice creams. The sea salt ice cream that he would share with Roxas and someone else he still can't remember but he knows that someone else was there. And at that moment, a familiar voice asks him why he is there. He turns and finds Saix, but Saix isn't there to fight. He sits next to his friend, his former friend, and takes one of the ice creams, asking why he would bring three if only he was expecting Roxas to join him. The two talk about their former friendship. They talk about joining the organization back at its inception, and they talk about something else. They talk about a friend, a girl that they used to know who went away, and they don't remember why. Sykes, however, is confident that Axel has moved on from any past friendship, and when Axel seems offended by this, Sykes references that the marks are no longer under Axel's eyes and that those marks were upside-down teardrops, symbolic of Axel's vow to never cry over any kind of connection. The fact that those marks are gone has shown that Axel is now new, that he's moved on from his past life and maybe from all of his past friendships. The two sit in silence, understanding that this is the last moment that they'll get to share as former friends before they go to war the next day. On Destiny Islands, Riku is sitting on the beach and turns to see Repliku. The two have a short conversation talking about how their abilities are always going to be stronger than apart. Riku then wishes that Repliku could join them in the battle saying that if it were possible for a Replica to be there, that he would love to have Repliku by his side. Repliku, of course, thanks Riku, but tells him that Riku should be focused on the battle and on defending the friends who are there. Meanwhile, a little bit further from the beach, Kairi and Sora are a little bit weirded out that Riku seems to be talking to thin air. The two talk about their journey together, how everything started on this island, and how tomorrow their lives are going to change once again. Kairi then pulls out a Paupu fruit, the thing that started this whole whole adventure off. Sora, of course, remembers the race that he and Riku had to give a paupu fruit to Kairi, for the legend goes that if you share a paupu fruit with someone, your lives will be linked forever. Kyrie then shares the Papu fruit with Sora, and the two have a tender moment, knowing that this might be the last time before the war begins. The next day, the Guardians of Light reconvene at the Keyblade Graveyard, ready to do battle. It's here that Xehanort appears with his 13 Darknesses and summons a horde of heartless nobodies and inversed, that the seven Keyblade wielders go straight into battling. Sora, Donald, and Goofy are separated from the others, but manage to hold their own and use one of Sora's new abilities to essentially bomb the hordes of Heartless, and Unversed, clearing the path for them to continue on. The Guardians of Light head through a fissure in the mountain, and come out on the other side and find themselves face to face with Terra. Terra seems to be recompleted, back to himself. And as Ventus goes to embrace him, Aqua realizes that something might be wrong. Aqua pulls Ventus away from Terra and tells the man in front of her that he's not Terra and to let Terra go. To everyone's horror, Terra's hair turns white. He isn't saved. He's still under their control. He is still Terranort, and he is their 13th darkness. Terra then attacks Ventus, mortally wounding him, and does the same to Axel, and seems ready to strike Kyrie down as well. Sora jumps to her defense, but it's Goofy who deflects Terranort's strike with his shield, and Donald who summons up all of his strength and unleashes upon Terranort a Zeta Flare. Terranort is sent off to parts unknown, but Donald falls to the ground. Sora doesn't know what he's seeing. He sees Kairi and Riku trying to wake up Axel, Aqua trying to raise Ventus, and Donald unconscious on the ground while Goofy and Mickey try to revive him. He doesn't know what's happening. All of a sudden, darkness descends upon them. A dark horde appears and grows in numbers, turning into a heartless hurricane that sweeps up everyone one by one until it's only Sora and Riku left. Having lost everyone, Sora falls to his knees lamenting that without his friends, he's nothing. Riku tells Sora, I know you don't believe that, and goes off to battle the hurricane before being swept up himself right before Sora is also taken. And so, as foretold, darkness prevailed and light expired. As we come back to the chessboard, Xehanort's pieces surround Ericus's Thirteen pieces of darkness with Eraqus's one piece of light. Xehanort claims checkmate, but Ericus isn't so sure. After confirming that it's still his turn, he pulls his white piece back to his board and tells him that there's more to light than meets the eye some light comes from the past. Sora awakens, now looking more like a ghost, in an unfamiliar setting, a place where the sea meets the sky. He's encountered by something calling itself a Chirithi, formerly a guardian to those with hearts strong enough to wield a Keyblade. It tells Sora that the reason that he's here is because his heart is strong enough to withstand the darkness, and that the only reason he's been able to keep his form is because of the strength of his heart and the strength of the bonds attached to his heart. It tells Sora that he'll need to piece himself back together before he can leave this place, this place called the Final World. Sora makes his way through the Final World, encountering pieces of himself that he builds back together. He also encounters stars, ethereal stars that seem to contain not just messages from the past, but also voices. One voice tells him that she's been waiting there a very long time, and that she's waiting for the person that she holds dearest to come find her. Sora vows to find the person who's looking for her and to lead him back to her, and asks to know what his name is. The star leans in and then tells him, whispering, she then says, it'll be our secret. And Sora agrees. He then finds another star that reveals itself to be Naminé. Naminé tells Sora that she was ripped from Kyrie's heart when everything went down and that she's been waiting here to find what happens next. She tells Sora that Kyrie's still out there, that she can feel her, and that her heart isn't lost. She then tells Sora that she's also come into contact with an old friend, Tara. She tells him that she'll try to connect him and hopefully guide Tara back to Sora and the gang as soon as she can. Sora is then able to successfully recomplete himself and, saying goodbye to Cherothy, tells the Cherothy that they're now friends. Charity seems pretty happy about this, saying that it's been a long time since it's had a friend, and that it's still waiting for its true friend. Sora hopes to find this friend, but the Charity says that its friend is not going to remember the Charity, and that it's probably better this way, as its friend is probably much more happy with its new friends. Sora then pledges that the Chirithi has a friend for life before heading back into the Realm of Light. On his way, Sora encounters the Lich King Heartless, which seems to be taking the hearts of the Seven Guardians of Light, and Sora systematically battles this Lich across worlds, rescuing Riku, Mickey, Axel, Ven, and Aqua before heading back to the Keyblade Graveyard and finding Kyrie waiting for him in the realm between. Kyrie reveals that her light shined because she knew that Sora would find her as well as the other Guardians of Light and that they would get a second chance. The two then land back at the Keyblade Graveyard seemingly moments before everything happened. They come back into the clearing and find a familiar scene. Terra, standing in the middle with Ventus wanting to embrace his friend. Terra, of course, reveals himself to be Terranort once again and goes to attack Ventus, but the dust kicks up as something, or someone, blocks the strike. As the dust clears, we see that the lingering will, Terra's lingering will, was guided back to the area by Naminé's heart, and is here to defend his friends and battle Terranort. The two have a fast and furious duel before the Lingering Will is able to defeat Terranort and send him away, with the Lingering Will following close behind. The Keyblade wielders, now ready and able to fight, attack the dark horde that comes upon them, until the darkness gathers itself up back into the heartless hurricane ready to swallow up all of the light. It's at this moment that Sora is encountered by a light from the past, a boy who we, the audience, know to be Ephemer, who turns to Sora amidst a flash of light and says, need some help? That help comes in the form of the flight of the Keyblades, where every Keyblade from the Keyblade Graveyard, every Keyblade that was once held by a Keyblade wielder rises up and helps Sora to fight against the Darkness Hurricane. Sora is able to use the light from the past to finally defeat the Hurricane of Darkness and vanquishes it once and for all. He returns to his friends, but more Heartless are on their way. They're surrounding them and there might be too many for them to get past. All of a sudden, a pillar of light descends in front of them. Yen Sid has entered the battle. He summons up a corridor of light to allow the Keyblade wielders to get past and to get through into the next stage. Donald and Goofy stay behind to protect Yen Sid as they battle the Heartless and the Keyblade wielders head into the next area. That area being the crossroads of destiny. It's here that Xehanort arrives with his 13 darknesses. Xehanort, Ansem, Seeker of Darkness, Zemnis, Dark Riku, Young Xehanort, Venitus, Marluxia, Larxene, Luxord, Saix, Zigbar, Terranort, and one other unknown Darkness. Xehanort then summons up the land beneath them, turning the crossroads into a labyrinth. Our heroes split up, taking different paths into the labyrinth to meet the challenge head-on. Sora first comes upon Riku, who is battling Seeker of Darkness, Dark Riku, and Zigbar. They're able to turn Seeker of Darkness away, who retreats further into the labyrinth. He and Riku then defeat the dark Riku, revealing itself to not be Riku from the past, but to be the dark version of the Riku replica. It's here that the spirit of Repliku possesses the replica, pulling out the darkness within it and leaving the replica body behind. While Riku wants Repliku to take the replica so that it can finally have a body of his own, Repliku... Shakes his head no. He says that there's someone who needs it more. Someone they both know who needs it more. Riku finally connects the dots and realizes that Repliku is sacrificing himself one more time for the love of his life, Namine. He tells Riku to get that replica to Namine so that she can have a life of her own. The two then stand together, Riku and Sora, best friends, against Zigbar in one last gunfight. They're able to defeat Zigbar, who disappears leaving his guns behind and appears atop a wall in the labyrinth. In full view of Riku and Sora, he then backs up and falls seemingly to his demise. Sora then heads off with Riku pledging to stay behind to protect the replica from harm. And soon, Sora finds himself reunited with Mickey, who seems to be in a losing effort against Luxord, Larxene, and Marluxia. The two are able to defeat Luxord first, with Luxord fading into darkness after he and Sora pledge to have one more game against each other, when Luxord is a real person once again. After defeating Larxene, she laments over being defeated once again, but tells Sora that she was really just along for the ride. When Sora asks what she means, she looks at him with almost an innocent smirk and tells him my secret before fading away. Sora and Mickey then face down with Marluxia and are able to defeat him. In his final moments, Marluxia seemingly remembers who he used to be and thanks Sora, not just for helping him reclaim his identity, but for helping him remember how to feel before he fades away. Sora takes solace in the fact that though he defeated these 3, they will now be recompleted as human beings once again. Mickey then pledges to head in further into the maze to try and find Zemnis and sends Sora on his way to help the others. Sora then comes upon another scene where Aqua and Ventus are battling Venetus and Terranort. Sora first helps Ventus finally defeat Venetus, and as Venetis's mask cracks and reveals the face underneath, Sora is horrified to see his own face looking out at him. Venetus finally explains that he was the piece of Ventus that was taken away, and that Sora was the piece that Ventus needed to be whole again, so of course they would look the same. He tells them that they are brothers, destined to be defined by each other. He then succumbs to his fate and fades to darkness, with Ventus finally getting some closure. The two friends then help Aqua fight against Terranort, who seems to overpower them and use his Dark Guardian to chain them up. But at the moment that Terranort is about to strike them down, the Guardian rips from his grasp and saves Aqua and Ventus. It then pulls away at the bandages covering its mouth and reveals Terra's voice. This Guardian, the Guardian that has been used by Terranort, by Xehanort, and by the Seeker of Darkness, was always Terra, reaching out but being chained by the darkness in Xehanort's heart. This guardian is able to work with Sora to free itself and Terra's heart is finally able to force its way back into Terra's body, purging him of Xehanort's influence. Terra is whole again. Sora heads further into the maze as Terra, Aqua, and Ventus Finally reunite. Sora then comes upon his final missing friends, Axel and Kyrie, who are fighting against Syx and this unknown thirteenth member. Syx is able to wound Axel, and Kyrie is detained by the Thirteenth Darkness before Zemnis reappears, telling Axel that he's sad to see Axel fall from such heights, and that Axel used to be the person that he would set against traitors. He then goes to strike Axel down, but the 13th darkness seemingly changes sides, saving Axel and revealing itself to be Shion. A new light has entered the game. Xemnas goes to strike her down as well, with Axel finally remembering his missing friend, and just as it seems that he is going to lose her again, a light leaves Sora and reappears from the sky, defending Shion. This light reveals to be cloaked in an organization cloak, holding the Oath Keeper and Oblivion Keyblades. He removes his hood to reveal that Roxas has returned. Xemnas is. Taken aback by this. How, how did he get a vessel? And Roxas reveals the same as you. He then reveals to the group that most of the new organization's members came to the present day as just hearts. As to time travel, you had to cast away your body and send your heart forward or backward through time. And so, to counteract this, the organization had replicas ready and waiting for them, revealing that Zemnis, seeker of darkness, young Xehanort, and others were just replicas inhabited by the hearts of those who they resemble. Zemnis almost seems to fear Roxas and makes a hasty escape but not before capturing Kyrie and taking her further into the maze, leaving Syx to battle the remainder. Sora, Roxas and Shion keyblade up in battle against Psyx, ultimately defeating him. As Psyx begins to fade, Axel embraces his former friend. Sayx is going to be recompleted, will be whole once again, but there's a lot that needs to be hashed out between these two friends. Psyx reveals that he was jealous of Axel's friendship with Roxas and Shion and referencing the missing friend from back in their childhood, he was worried that Axel would forget all about him and their friendship and move on to new friends. Axel seems to be amused by this and is glad that Syx finally admits it. He promises that his friendship with Syx no, with Isa, will never be forgotten. And they'll pick up right where they left off in the next life. Sora heads further into the maze as Shion, Roxas, and Axel, three friends who were pulled apart from each other by circumstance, finally reunite in a tear filled embrace. Sora finally makes it to the summit, finding Riku and Mickey ready and waiting for him. Xehanort is waiting along with his three avatars, the Seeker of Darkness, Zemnis, and young Xehanort. Three echoes of one twisted man. Sora, Riku, and Mickey engage with these three avatars and are able to defeat young Xehanort first. Young Xehanort fades, telling Sora that while this is going to be the end of Sora's journey. This is just the beginning of his. He's going to go back to his time and continue all the way up to this very moment. He'll see him again. But Sora's time has run out. He then fades away as our trio fights Zemnus next. After finally defeating him, Zemnus laments his loneliness. He tells Sora, Riku, and Mickey that he took for granted the companionship that the organization gave him, and that that's all a heart is, loneliness and pain. Sora rejects this idea, telling Zemnis that, yes, having a heart means that you will hurt sometimes, that you will know what hurt is like, but that you fight through it every day, and that's what makes you human. Zemnis, with a smirk, tells Sora that if that must be true, then being human must take incredible strength before fading away. And finally, with only one avatar left, they come face to face with the one that started it all, the one that started Riku and Sora's journey, Ansem, Seeker of Darkness. After a lengthy battle, they finally defeat him, and as he fades away, He reflects, telling Sora and Riku, what a journey we've had. Riku steps forward, saying that he's almost going to miss the Seeker of Darkness, that he isn't who he is today without him. Ansem agrees and says that he isn't who he is right now without Sora and Riku. He then tells Sora that it's time to move on that there is more to seek, so to go forth and seek it. And with that, every other member of the organization has been vanquished. Only Xehanort remains. However, before they can attack him, Xehanort summons Kingdom Hearts and strikes down Kyrie in front of Sora, turning her heart into the final key needed to make... The X-Blade. The X-Blade has been forged. Kingdom Hearts is opened. And Xehanort uses the X-Blade to corrupt Kingdom Hearts. As the world begins to fall around them, all of the Keyblade wielders arrive. They don't know what to do. They don't know what they're going to do. They don't know if there's anything they can do. However, Donald and Goofy join an emotionally broken Sora and tell him not to give up just yet. And that gives Riku an idea. He references that Xehanort pulled all of his past avatars through himself to bring them to the present day, to bring their hearts to the replica bodies, and that Xehanort in itself then must be a kind of portal. And that if they can push Xehanort through the portal, they can separate him from this portal plane of existence, thereby severing his connection with Kingdom Hearts. It's going to be risky, but if they can pull it off, they might just save every world. So all of the light gathers, Sora, Riku, Mickey, Axel, Chion, Roxas, Terra, Aqua, Ventus, with a little moment where Ventus and Roxas look at each other, not knowing why they look so alike. Donald and Goofy pledge to go with Sora, who says that he has to be the one to push Xehanort through the portal and end this once and for all. The Keyblade wielders use their light to attack Xehanort and open the portal within him, and Sora, along with Donald and Goofy, push Xehanort through the portal, following him close behind to make sure he stays there. Sora, Donald, and Goofy wake up in an unfamiliar setting, an ancient town from a time before, cable cars making their way from island to island around them. They don't know where they are, but they do know that this will be their final battleground. They just have to find Xehanort. Making their way into the town, they see echoes of Xehanort throughout, before being confronted by thirteen sentinels, each representing a potential vessel Xehanort's heart. Sora battles and defeats the 13 vessels before Xehanort himself makes an appearance. He clues in Sora, Donald, and Goofy by telling them that this place was once the source of all Keyblade Wielder's powers. This is where he, along with many other masters in his age, trained and became Keyblade Wielders and learned to harness the light within. This place is Scala ad Caelum. And this will be history's battleground. Donning a new, twisted, darker Keyblade armor and taking his Keyblade up, he battles against Sora, Donald, and Goofy. And ultimately, though he uses the terrain as well as his ability to warp reality to his advantage, Sora, Donald, and Goofy come out victorious, and they defeat Xehanort. Seemingly. Xehanort disappears and reappears at the top of the highest tower in Skullad Kylam and beckons Sora to follow. The three heroes head up to meet Xehanort at this final altar, hoping to finally defeat the Old Master. Xehanort, unfortunately, reveals that Sora's plan didn't work. It didn't stop. Xehanort's goals. It only delayed them. And then he reveals that he still has the X-Blade and uses it to summon Kingdom Hearts there, revealing that no matter how far apart the worlds are, all the worlds share one sky, one destiny. Brandishing the X-Blade, he and Sora have one final duel. During this duel, Sora is forced into a rage form, an almost anti-Sora form. And in this new form, Sora is able to damage Xehanort while being able to restore himself by collecting the light that had been scattered around the field. He is then able to put a final blast against Xehanort, but Xehanort, using the X-Blade's considerable power, overwhelms him and defeats him. Sora falls to darkness. While lost in the darkness, he is stirred by the voices of Donald and Goofy, telling him to wake up, telling him to come back to them, telling him to win. Sora finally awakens and uses not just his power, but the power of Donald, the power of Goofy, the power of the Trinity, to defeat Xehanort, striking a fatal blow and defeating the Old Master once and for all. Unfortunately, Xehanort reveals their victory comes just too late. Kingdom Hearts has been seemingly corrupted. The once elegant, beautiful, heart-shaped moon is now crackling with fire and fury. Xehanort reveals that his goal was a complete purge, using the power of Kingdom Hearts to purge all the worlds and to provide a fresh start. Kingdom Hearts is set to wipe the slate clean so that he can start over and bring the world back to prosperity. He tells Sora that the light is what matters. And that these worlds have become too corrupted with darkness. The darkness has reached too far for anyone to be saved. And that he, as the hero of his own story, has decided that he will be the one to bring the world back to light and to lead them into a new age. Sora tells him that that wasn't his decision to make and that if that is the way that things will go, if the worlds need a new age, and they need to be led into the light that Xehanort isn't the one to do it. He's compromised and sacrificed too much to be the person who leads the worlds into the light. It's at this moment that the Keyblade wielders reappear. Terra, Aqua, Ventus, Mickey, Riku, Roxas, Shion, and Axel all appear to help Sora. And finally, we get a reunion that has been ten years in the making, as Terra takes his place opposite Master Xehanort. It's here that Terra reveals that Eraqus, who Xehanort struck down all those years ago, let his heart reside within Terra, and that's what gave him the strength to make his way back. Eraqus, as just his heart, reappears, telling Xehanort that it's done, that it's not too late that it might be too late for him and Xehanort, but it's not too late for them. It's not too late for the world that they can protect. Ericus then walks over to his friend, puts his hand on Xehanort's shoulder, and tells him, checkmate. We now find ourselves observing the chessboard once more. Ericus, after seemingly losing the chess game, has somehow maneuvered his way into defeating Xehanort. Xehanort knocks over his king's peace and tells Ericus that he's victorious, that he almost had him, but that Ericus wins the day here. He then tells Ericus that though they are both training under the same master, when they look to find a protector of the light, that they will choose Ericus. But that doesn't mean that Xehanort can't be right there with him and with that pledges to Ericus that he'll always be there to help guide and protect him. Back in present day, Xehanort relinquishes the exploit to Sora, telling him that it's his time and that he can save the worlds. Ericus then reunites with his three students, both all three of them embracing him, tears in their eyes. He apologizes to Ventus, saying that it wasn't right what he put Ventus through, and that he is so sorry. He also apologizes to Aqua, telling her that the burden she had to bear for so long should have been his, and apologizes for not preparing her for what she had to deal with. He then looks to Terra, his son, the man who he raised and taught, the man who he shared a heart with for all these years, and he tells Terra to protect Aqua and Ventus. He then joins with Xehanort, who is fading, and in one last flash of light, the two old men become young boys once more, and the two friends depart for Kingdom Hearts together. Sora then uses the exploit to seal Kingdom Hearts, ending the threat once and for all. Our heroes find themselves back in the Keyblade Graveyard, seemingly having won the day, but Sora isn't satisfied. Kyrie is still lost. Kyrie is somewhere out there, and he needs to find her. Everyone says, you know, we'll, re- we'll regroup at the Mysterious Tower, we'll talk to Yen Sid, we'll figure this out, but Sora says no. He's going to use the Power of Waking to find Kyrie and to bring her back at any cost. Mickey isn't sure about this. He tells Sora that using the power of waking this much could end up losing him forever. He would be lost, trading Kyrie's position for his. Sora vows to return, telling everyone that he'll be back as soon as he can, but that this whole journey started because he was looking for Kyrie, and her not being here means the journey isn't over. With that, he takes up his Keyblade, uses the power of waking, and time passes. We see Mickey, Donald, Goofy, and Master Yen Sid, who survived his duel with the hordes of darkness, returning to the Disney castle, reuniting with their loved ones. Terra, Aqua, and Ven return to the Land of Departure with a touching tribute to their master, setting up a memorial for Eraqus, and finally laying their wayfinders to rest, having finally found their way home. As they head back to the land of departure with hope in their eyes, Ventus catches something in the corner of his eye. He sees the Chirithi, the Chirithi who had been waiting for him, and Ventus seemingly remembers the Chirithi. The two finally embrace. Ventus picks up the Cherithi and takes him with him, catching up to Terra and Aqua as they embark on their newest adventure. Lee, Roxas, Shion, and the new friend, Isa, reunite at the top of the Twilight Clock Tower, all having shed their organization clothes behind and finally as real people sitting and sharing ice cream like it always should have been. They're joined by Hainer, Pence, and Olette, who are ready, waiting, and excited to learn more about their new friends. They all take a seat on top of the clock tower, snacking on ice cream, and finally getting to enjoy just being normal. At Radiant Garden, the replica that Riku saved back in the maze is being used to give Namine a vessel she wakes up in Ansem's study, under the watchful eye of Ansem the Wise, Ienzo, Dylan, and Alias, and they bring her outside, and Nomine is finally able to feel the sun on her skin. It's not long though that a gummy ship arrives, and Riku is there to greet her. He extends his hand. Nomine takes his hand and the two head off in the gummy ship together fulfilling the promise that they'd made so long ago. A reunion of sorts is staged at Destiny Islands. Anyone and everyone is there. Donald, Goofy, Hainer, Pence, and letter making sandcastles while Isa, Ventus, and Lee throw the frisbee around. Roxas, Riku, and Terra race on the beach as Aqua and Mickey cheer them on. Suddenly, something catches everyone's attention. They look towards the end of the beach, where we see Kairi back again, sitting next to Sora, hands clenched tight as they sit upon the tree where they shared the Paupu fruit. And then, as the sun begins to set, a tear rolls down Kairi's face and Sora fades away. elsewhere, at the Keyblade Graveyard, at the crossroads of fate, a new Keyblade has joined the others, this being Xehanort's Keyblade, until a figure cloaked in a familiar black cloak picks up the Keyblade, saying, finally, back where it belongs. At that moment, reality begins to shift as four of the Foretellers, the original Lost Masters appear. Ira, Envy, Gula, and Ased make their way from each of the four crossroads, intersecting at the center and meeting Lushu. Lushu stands there holding Xehanort's Keyblade, or maybe it was his Keyblade, as well as the big black box that everyone has been searching for. Ira asks Lushu if it's really him. He looks different. Lushu responds that, well, I haven't heard that name in a long time, and removes his hood to reveal Zigbar. Zigbar has been Lushu all along. He tells the foretellers that he's had many semblances since his original self, but nowadays people call him Zigbar whatever you prefer though. From afar, Maleficent and Pete observe the scene, having finally found the black box. Lushu makes an observation that Ava hasn't appeared, and Gula asks if that was by design. However, Lushu reveals that Ava had her own role to play, and that she accomplished her goal. A said ever the hothead lashes out at lushu asking why they were there and what his role was lushu with a smirk looks at the black box and says i hope you like long stories back at the chessboard a young Xehanort and a young ericus sit observing the conclusion of their last game Ericus then excitedly begins replacing the pieces, telling Xehanort, I heard of this new game. And as we look upon the chessboard now, on Xehanort's side, we see seven pieces of darkness, each piece resembling the symbol of the Foreteller's original unions, as well as two that must resemble Lushu and the Master of Masters. Xehanort responds, Seven pieces of darkness and Ericus, holding one single white piece, one single piece of light says, just watch. In another time, another place, we find that every end is also a new beginning. Sora awakens on a rainy street, standing up and finding himself seemingly in the real world. Looking around, clues seem to point to this being Shibuya. Elsewhere, maybe inside the same city, Riku also awakens. The two are confused at where they are. They don't know what's going on, and as an audience, neither do we. Riku begins to wander around the city, and we see that someone's watching him, someone's observing him. From far above, at the top... Of two ominous towers sits Yozora, the Riku look-alike from the Varum Rex video game. How is this possible? Who is he and what is he doing there? Elsewhere in the city, a familiar cloaked figure stands atop another building, observing all three characters, and as he stands looking at the moon, he signals his hands, forming the shape of a heart and placing it over the moon, evoking the image of Kingdom Hearts. Whether this is a new adversary or whether this is the Master of Masters returning at last, we know that this story isn't over and we know that soon it will once again be time to reconnect. And that is the story of Kingdom Hearts 3. Oh, man, that is, uh... That's a lot. (laughs) So, a lot happened in that, um... And I almost... I, I feel bad, almost, for, uh... Getting my review out, uh... Following that. It's hard... It's tough to, uh... It's tough to follow a narrative with, uh... Review like this, but I'm gonna try and do... I'm gonna try my best, and, uh try to be as objective as possible. It's hard to do that when you're uh, so engrossed in a story like that, but I'm going to try my best, I'm going to try my best. Uh, So I have my notes here, we're going to review the game, uh, because again, since it doesn't have a final mix, and I guess uh, according to certain interviews, Nomura isn't really interested in doing a final mix, he's more interested in just releasing DLC, which makes sense in today's modern gaming landscape. But uh, instead of that, we're going to be doing a full review of the game, my thoughts, uh, things I liked, things I didn't like, and uh, we'll be talking about it all. So we'll jump into it right now. Uh, and first of all, I've got my, my top of my notes is just incredible. This game is incredible for what it is, for what it's supposed to be. This game could have been a complete dumpster fire. It could have crashed, it could have burned, but luckily for fans, for myself, It is not. Uh, This game has stunning visuals. The game is the most beautiful in the entire franchise. The worlds are sprawling. The worlds are deep, both uh, in where you can go as well as your verticality. Once you get some of the mid-game to late-game abilities, the amount of verticality that you get is, I would say, probably uh, right up there, just might be edging out the verticality in uh, Dream Drop Distance. But again, with Dream Drop Distance, uh, a lot of the verticality was, I guess, undercut by the fact that the worlds were mostly empty. So this was pretty much the perfect way to do these kind of worlds uh as i talked about during the background gummy ships were fantastic gummy ships were finally done right in the idea that they were mostly optional most of the uh, gummy ship stuff was completely optional if you didn't want to battle other ships you didn't have to i myself didn't really battle any other heartless ships until probably about halfway through the game when i really wanted to uh start racking up stuff for the platinum and the amount of stuff you can do in the gummy ship where you're essentially it's one giant open world or it's i guess it's like three giant open world maps and two of those three you're able to traverse them freely right from the get-go you can go find treasures you can go Uh, Take pictures of constellations. You can unlock treasure spheres. If you don't want to battle, you don't have to battle. And the idea that you can just fly around this open world and go from world to world instead of it just being one big map and then you go on rails, uh, I think is brilliant. And the idea that the only time you really are on rails are during the battle sequences, which, again, I thought was really well done. And I like the battle sequences this time around. And I think that has a lot to do with the idea that they are not just by choice, but also few few and far between. You're not spending the entire time on the gummy ship on rails. So I would say that this, uh, this is the perfect way to do the gummy ships. And if they didn't change this at all going forward in the gummy ships i would be okay with that though as we know from the ending of the story we might not even be involved with gummy ships so we'll see uh this game also had a ton of resolutions really good wrap-ups for a lot of characters stories in this entire franchise so those uh kind of general notes out of the way i'm going to talk about things i liked things i didn't like first thing i liked it's got to be sora uh some friends of mine I have heard really didn't enjoy Sora's characterization following the first two games and I can totally understand that Um, as the franchise kind of went on Sora seemed to get dumber and more naive which was strange because it felt like a regression in his character rather than a progression and I am happy to say that in this game he is back to the Sora in Kingdom Hearts 1 and Kingdom Hearts 2 Uh, I really enjoyed him kind of taking a more leadership role here while still retaining the youthful splendor that he's had in uh, the most recent spin-off games. But this was a more mature Sora. This is a Sora who I kind of equate to Aang from the uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. If you check out and you watch Aang's progression throughout the entirety of that show, Aang has what most in uh, narrative writing would describe as a flat arc, where the character doesn't change a whole lot, but his influence changes the world and the characters around him. Providing that kind of uh, character arc that you would see out of like a, a Goku in a Dragon Ball Z, Sora is one of those characters. Sora is a character who experiences a flat arc right up until, I would probably say, the final act of the game. Where we see him really just step up in more of an adult role as well. And the Sora that we see at the end after facing Xehanort and after kind of making this decision to... Go after Kyrie and find her is a new Sora. This is an adult Sora. This is a Sora that we are going to be seeing going forward, and I'm super excited about that. Uh, I also love the Keyblades. The Keyblades were fantastic, though. I am a little bitter that uh, two of my favorite Keyblades, the Oblivion and the Oathkeeper, weren't available for Sora to play as. I feel like those have kind of been the constants in the uh, numbered. Uh, titles in this series, and I was kind of sad that they didn't come back for this one. But the Keyblades were done perfectly here. Otherwise, uh, you got to level up and upgrade your Keyblade. So, if you had a favorite Keyblade, you liked its stats, you liked its look, you liked uh, its Keyblade transformations, you were able to keep that Keyblade throughout. I myself I love the starlight Keyblade. I love the blue and the silver. The look of it was fantastic. I really enjoyed the uh, the Keyblade transformation turning you into the second form, essentially turning you into Sora from Kingdom Hearts 2, being able to pull off all of these really cool moves that weren't really in this game, being able to pull off... Uh, ragnarok for your shot lock being able to do the sonic blade which is a huge fan favorite ability uh, i really enjoyed but everyone got to have a favorite keyblade and everyone got to keep their favorite keyblade throughout the entire game all the way up until the end there was no point where any keyblade became obsolete which i really enjoyed also the worlds the worlds were huge as we talked about just now the worlds were deep they were vast they had a certain depth to them that you really didn't uh didn't see in previous games also the worlds were populated my favorite part of uh the big hero six world olympus coliseum or i guess just olympus uh were that people walked around in towns and in twilight town it was so good in twilight town it felt like a real town a real city a real world because you had npcs walking around giving it kind of the final fantasy effect where you saw characters who were uh, not part of the game, but they made the world richer because of their inclusion and them just walking around. Also the characters. The characters were fantastic. Every character got a moment to shine in this game, and I really enjoyed it. And then the photo mode. Photo mode was something that I didn't really ever see fitting into a Kingdom Hearts game, but with uh, the large jump In pop culture between Kingdom Hearts 2 and Kingdom Hearts 3, these kind of additions, such as Sora essentially getting a smartphone and making an Instagram account, they felt natural and they were hella fun to uh, incorporate into the overall game. Whether it was searching for the lucky emblems, whether it was taking pictures of your party members who... I loved had a reaction every single time you had the camera on them. They're like, oh, and they go into a pose. Uh, Captain Jack was like, is that some sort of spyglass? It was really cool, and I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Uh, they also, I'm gonna go into uh, things I didn't like here. I've I've kind of got uh, things I liked and things I didn't like, not really organized, kind of shuffled around. Uh, the one thing one thing I didn't like was uh, there was a lot of pat. Padding in the game, whether it was the gummy ship, which admittedly I loved the use of the gummy ship this time around, but I still feel like the gummy ship is padding for the game. Also, hunting for ingredients and the cooking, I—I'll be honest, I never used the cooking. All the way up until I was ready to go for the platinum, as well as go after the secret boss, I didn't use the cooking at all, except for uh, that. Aspect of it because I was trying to level up faster. I didn't really think that, though the inclusion of uh, the characters, the uh, storyline of it was nice, the gameplay was just kind of extra mini games that I didn't really need. And I will tell you, the hardest part of this game is not any single boss. The hardest part of this game is not the treasure hunting. The hardest part of the game is not the level grind. The hardest part. Of this entire game is cracking a freaking egg in the egg cracking mini game when you're trying to cook that was the thing I got the most frustration out of in this entire game because I never really figured it out and anytime that I was able to get an excellent on it it was by complete chance so that really bothered me uh another thing that bothered me there was no final fantasy characters the only final fantasy characters that really ever made any kind of uh appearance were the moogles and i really missed the final fantasy characters i missed leon and his crew i missed seeing cloud i missed getting a secret boss fight against sephiroth that has been a huge deal in the numbered titles in this series and though of course since we are just over uh month out from the release of the game there is still time for dlc to come out whether it be extra bosses whether it be uh an extra sequence of uh story i really think that the game felt more like a disney game than a final fantasy game and of course that might be because disney is so much bigger of a franchise now having since the second game absorbed lucas arts have Or Lucasfilms having absorbed the Marvel Universe they have more of sway and they wanted to put a bigger focus on their characters but honestly I could have done with more Final Fantasy characters and less focus on the Disney worlds Um, also the worlds in in themselves while they were beautiful while uh, I thought they were fantastic usage of the gameplay in itself there wasn't a whole lot of importance in the worlds. Uh, Sora's story kind of felt like the B story, with the A story involving Riku, Mickey, the other characters, because they felt like, okay, this is the bookend for the story. I Meanwhile, is still kind of running around these worlds, there's no reason for him specifically to go to these worlds, but he goes to them anyway, and things just kind of happen around him. I think this is perfectly... Uh, this is a perfect example the Frozen World. The Frozen World is probably I would say the ah it's tough. I would say it was my least favorite world just because of the fact that you weren't you didn't really have a you didn't really have an impact on the story. The story just kind of happened away from you. Um and that could be said for the um the parts of the caribbean world as well because for most of the parts of the caribbean world you were running around with a fake jack while the rest of the movie happened away from you and you really only jumped back into the story right at the end so i wasn't a fan of that approach i didn't really feel like if you didn't want these characters because the biggest thing about previous uh previous games involving these Disney worlds was you jumping into the story and being involved in that story. The Mulan world is one of my favorite worlds in all of uh, the Kingdom Hearts franchise because you got to actively involve yourself and actively participate in the story of that game. And I thought that was missing. And the idea that you were jumping from world to world in Kingdom Hearts 2 was you were hunting down the organization members, you were trying to reopen the gates, you were trying to fight the darkness there. For these worlds, you were just kind of hopping from world to world, just trying to level up Sora. The entire... (laughs) <laughs> the entire story for Sora was, hey, let's level grind until we're good enough to go to the realm of darkness. And I didn't like that approach to it. I didn't like that approach. Also, the, uh, the idea of more cliffhangers um this game was really supposed to give us a lot of answers and while it did give us certain answers i still don't know why ven looks like roxas and maybe i missed something but i still don't know why that is um i don't know exactly what's gonna happen with Sora next we don't have a clear direction for him other than hey he's gonna go after uh kairi and we don't know exactly how he's gonna do that um We got a big cliffhanger in the epilogue where, you know, Zigbar. Base. Oh, no, that was the. uh, Was that the secret ending? No, the epilogue was the Zigbar stuff. So, Zigbar kind of revealing himself as Lushu was a huge deal, and personally, I called it, by the way. Um, But, I really. as soon as he they ask him what was in the box what was his role which we were told specifically those uh questions questions that came up during union cross during uh all that you know key unchained key stuff were going to be answered in kingdom Hearts 3 he goes i hope you like long stories and then it cuts away like what We're supposed to get answers. This game is supposed to give us answers to these burning questions. And I realize, again, this isn't the final story. There's more story to tell. But I would have liked more resolution. Uh, Jumping back to positives. Final sequence. The entire final sequence. I would say from um, them getting... Personally, personally, personally. To me, the entire game coming from them arriving in the Keyblade Graveyard was amazing was the perfect way to end this game all the way up through fighting in the maze uh, the inclusion of those Union Cross aspects fighting that giant heartless tornado all the way to the uh, three-tiered, the traditional Final Fantasy style three-tiered fight against Xehanort I thought were perfectly done and I really enjoyed them. They, they were my favorite parts of this game. Also the party members, being able to have five, six characters in your party including Sora was really well done and I loved that you didn't have to make that choice To jump in okay we need to you know weigh the uh, positives and negatives of having this character in the party over this character you got to have all of them and you got to really reap the benefits of having all of those characters in your party and again that really I think came out during those photo sessions where you got to see all of the interactions that the characters had with the photo mode so again I thought the party was fantastically done Um, talking about the combat the combat while of course being a little uh, floaty as a lot of people have said is Kingdom Hearts and it is a perfect uh, blend of all of the Kingdom Hearts combat that came before it and it is the perfection of the formula in that regard Um, also the cast. The wide cast. And I talked about the characters earlier, but the cast in itself is so wide. You get to see basically everyone you've interacted with in previous games in some form or another. You get that moment with Ephemer out of the Union Cross. You get all of those those hundreds of they-had-to-be-player like player avatar names, like helping you fight the Heartless Tornado. You got to see Roxas, Shion, and Axel. You got to catch up with Hainer, Pence, and, and a side note, the drop kick from Hainer is one of the most beautiful moments in the entire game just because he goes full vertical trying to drop kick. Uh, I think it was... I think it was uh, Ansem Seeker of Darkness. And I just, I loved it because it was those characters. Uh, it was really weird hearing their voices again, because I think, you know, with it being 13 years, the characters either were recast or uh, their voices changed, obviously. So it was weird hearing them, because those voices didn't exactly match up to what they were. Uh, but I really enjoyed it, and that also goes for Kyrie, who I didn't realize wasn't being voiced by Hayden Panettiere until probably about the credits I I knew something was off in her voice but I didn't realize it was Allison Stoner who did a great job don't get me wrong hey Allison Stoner did a great job as Kyrie but I think for me I really would have liked to have Kyrie's original voice actress in there uh, but yeah the wide cast was incredible getting to meet all of the characters from these many Disney worlds and really getting to interact with them uh, and of course, I mentioned it just now but I have I have it in my in my notes Roxas yeah my favorite my favorite character in the franchise Roxas made a stunning return and had an amazingly heartfelt moment with Axel and Shion I loved it I'm so excited that he's back and I hope that this isn't the last time we see him along with those characters it kind of came about especially in the uh, in the ending of the game that this seems to be kind of the final chapter and everyone kind of goes off to their happily ever after while Sora and seemingly Riku are going to continue on. But I'm interested to see what happens with them. And I hope that we get to play as Roxas in the future. I loved getting to play as other characters. Getting to play as Riku was fantastic. And the moment that it pull the camera pulls back and you get to play as Aqua, one of the most satisfying moments in the entire game. I... We'll put that up against any other moment, playable, any other playable moment in the game. Um, so that's it for the things I liked and I disliked. Again, I, there were things that I wasn't a huge fan of, the pacing, the uh, the importance of the worlds, but the positives definitely outweigh the negatives. And I'm excited for the future of the game. I'm excited to see where they go next. Hopefully we don't have to wait 13 years for Kingdom Hearts 4, but uh, I would be completely down for spin-offs featuring these characters i would be down for remasters featuring these characters if we could get kingdom hearts 358 over two days with this engine with this combat style or even the kingdom hearts 2 combat style i would buy it i would pre-order it i would buy a collector's edition of it i will buy it give it to me and i will play it um <clears throat> sorry but um with all of that said, I think now is where I am going to uh, rank it. This is where I'm going to put it in the overall ranking of the games. And with everything uh, kind of taken into account, both the story, the uh, the gameplay, everything about it... Whew, this is tough. Um, I would say... I would say that this game ranks number oh man Uh, I would say it ranks number two Kingdom Hearts 3 is number two in the overall ranking of these Kingdom Hearts games so let me flip through my notes again and get back to my rankings so that puts number 10 coded number 9 kingdom hearts key and all of its spin-offs number 8 0.2 a fragmentary passage number 7 uh, chain of memories number 6 358 over 2 days number 5 dream drop distance number 4 kingdom hearts 1 number 3 kingdom hearts 2 number 2 kingdom hearts 3 and number 1 for me is still birth by sleep i think just with all of the negatives that i have with the with the game um it's i would say objectively a better game than kingdom hearts 2 uh but with the whole with the I, want, I don't want to say the entirety, but with the majority of Sora's story basically being grind until you can enter the world of darkness, uh, the worlds as vast and beautiful as they were weren't as important to the story as they could have been and should have been, unlike previous games. I can't put it past Birth by Sleep. So there you have it. Uh, Kingdom Hearts 2 ranks second in the overall Kingdom Hearts rankings for me. Uh, please feel free to let me know uh, where... It ranks in your Kingdom Hearts rankings. Feel free to let me know if I'm spot on or if I'm completely off base. Uh, and feel free to let me know what you thought of this game. I want to talk about this game. Uh, I already talked to Damien, who featured on our uh, top Kingdom Hearts moments, and I am so excited to gush about this game more, both with him and with you guys. So, again, feel free to reach out to us at Pod. that's at GeeksplainPod on Twitter. Send me emails, because I'm an old man and I still read emails, to Explained at gmail.com. And feel free to give us a review view on any podcasting platform that you are listening to and i i just want to talk about this game i'm so excited i held off because i wanted uh this kingdom hearts 3 episode to be part of a big episode like this like our anniversary episode and i'm excited to talk about it with you guys so feel free to reach out uh on any of those platforms and once again thank you so much for sticking with us for our first year of geeksplained uh this has been a big deal for me uh with all the stuff that's going on living in la pursuing my dreams of acting and voice acting uh this has become a new dream making this podcast as successful as possible and you guys are helping me do it uh just checking on the stats on uh couple of our various platforms. We've got listeners in Belgium. We've got listeners in Canada. We've got listeners in Mexico, in Australia, Iraq, Brazil, the UK. We have at least one or two listeners in Tunisia. I had never heard of that country before, but if you are listening from Tunisia, thank you very much for making this a worldwide podcast. And thank you to all of the countries. that uh, represent our listeners we are officially a worldwide podcast with over 20 countries listening to this podcast as we speak so thank you so much again for making this podcast as successful as it is and thank you for sticking with us and continuing to support us as we try to make this podcast more successful got a lot of stuff going uh, a lot of stuff in the pipeline. I'm really excited to talk to you guys about it. And uh, everything is going to kick off this Wednesday, the 13th, with Geek Explained Podcast Volume 2. And we are going to be celebrating the first episode of Volume 2 of Year 2 of uh, the Geek Explained Podcast with another, uh, I guess, kind of the sequel to the very first episode of this podcast very first episode was top five comics you should be reading and now this wednesday uh the very first episode of our season two of our volume two if you will uh will be top five comics you should be reading for 2019 so look forward to that Thank you so much again for joining us and uh, just being part of this journey that we're all on. I really appreciate it, and I'm really happy to continue on this journey with you all. So uh, that's going to be it for now. Uh, thank you very much uh, for Geek Explained. I'm just, I'm giddy. I'm excited. I'm happy to... Uh, continue going forward. So for Geeks GeekSplain, this is Eric Kazana. Thank you very much for listening. Can't wait to start Volume 2, and we will see you next time.